Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. As uh, we, we reach the middle of the week here, uh, I did catch up with Darwin Ham yesterday if you missed that podcast. That was a fun one. And on Monday, Frank and myself caught up for the first time in a week and we relived and recapped the conversation with George Carl and any takeaways we had from that. But today we're here and I, I heard a rumor that Frank has takes. You have a scheduled take, I hear. Yeah, so I mean, I think I've been, um, I mean, people who listen to this a lot probably picked up on that I'm I'm more in the, uh, use this maybe as an opportunity to shift the NBA calendar, um, and I'm in that camp, uh, which uh, there's been some talk of in the past, and, and of late, it's come up more, I think, in the context just given of the, the situation, but this idea of, um, you know, does it make more sense to have an NBA calendar that starts around Christmas and, and then, you know, basically just is shifted by essentially um, a couple months because of that. And thus runs further into the summer. Um, and, and look, I mean, there's, there's lots of knock on effects of all this, whether you care about the Olympics or which I don't really care about the Olympics and basketball and the Olympics, but um, you know, there's obviously like things that would happen as a result of this. I mean, when I've talked about this, people have said, well, you know, TV ratings are always worse in the summer because people are going on vacation. That, that, that may be true, but I bet the TV ratings are also not helped by, you know, playing in the fall when they're overlapping with the NFL. And, you know, again, like, it's not like basketball ratings. I mean, they, the networks don't even like make a, you know, like ABC doesn't even show games until Christmas. Right. So you can kind of tell where they, uh, how they view the NBA in, in that regard. So, um, it, you know, look, there, there's obviously a lot of going to be a lot of kind of puts and takes if you move the calendar and all that, but, it's been interesting, you know, just people have been kind of paying attention to it. Um, you know, just the kind of continued discussion or what, what does the NBA look like when they come back? And obviously we've talked to her a bit about the likelihood that there's not going to be fans when it first, when the NBA first comes back and it may not be in the stadiums that we're used to seeing, right? Maybe it is something that is centralized somewhere so that it can better be, you know, you can better control players and staff and, kind of manage any potential exposure to, uh, you know, the coronavirus. Um, I, I think it's, it's interesting because on the one hand, you know, in America, and I, I don't know, Kane, what it's like in Australia, obviously um, there's different things happening around the world. Um, but, you know, here it seems like there is kind of this uh, underlying optimism that the kind of, we're, we're probably getting close to the worst um, in a lot of areas. Maybe we have hit the worst in certain areas. Um, and, you know, hope that we are going to be hitting the downward kind of trajectory of, um, of this pandemic. Uh, again, like how quickly that actually uh, takes you down towards um, a much lower, you know, number of, of, you know, incremental infections every day, things like that, incremental deaths. I, I won't pretend to know that, but, um, 
you know, I think even just looking at the, the stock market, I think there's probably a lot of optimism that uh, along with the president wanting to, quote unquote, reopen, you know, America for business, all that, that we may be seeing. Um, I don't want to say a return to normalcy because I think we are so far from <laughs> normalcy, even if we bring back sports, even if we bring back, you know, people going to work, even if we reopen schools at some point. Um, I think it's going to be quite, quite some time before, you know, we're going to see people not wearing masks and not acting in different ways of social distancing and things like that. So with all that in mind, there's been this kind of like presumption that if we push the NBA season this year later, that, well, that's bad for next year. Right. Um, and obviously we've talked about the, like the, the fact that they're going to be desperate to play 82 games next year. Cause they're going to need all the money they can get. Well, just given kind of what this is looking like and, I mean, when are people going to go start going to sporting events, right? Like, are people going to start going to sporting events before we have a vaccine for this? Um, I'm sure some people would be willing to go to sporting events, but are leagues willing to open the doors to stadiums, given that that would be, you know, pretty much the opposite of what you would suggest uh, be happening in society when you have, you know, uh, when you've just kind of gotten over a pandemic, whatever it might be. That's obviously a big hot button issue. And I think the NBA and other leagues are going to be very loath to um, jump the gun on that. So doesn't it make obvious sense that you would want to delay next season and give yourself more time to, uh, you know, get through the worst of this, get to a point where you might actually be able to have fans in the stands for, you know, majority of a season, let's say. And again, like, I think we're, you know, I'm, I'm kind of resigned to the fact this season if and whenever it does start is going to probably happen without fans at any point. Right. I'm, I'm kind of at that point. I don't, I just don't see this summer big arenas getting filled with people. I, I just, I it just seems like it's hard to imagine, especially without a vaccine, especially without, you know, and again, there may be daylight to um, more rapid testing and, you know, different things that would make it more, more capable of us, more capable of having that, you know, testing is probably the biggest thing that, that people talk about. Um, but I don't know. I, I just feel like it's, it seems like kind of an obvious thing now that there's an, that there would be financially an advantage to pushing next season later, because obviously the longer you are playing games without fans, that's a huge, you know, dent into the NBA's business, right? As much as it may be more of a TV business at this point, um, there's still a huge amount of money that comes in from playing in front of fans who pay good money to see that. And, um, you know, again, there's both the, dimension of when are you like literally going to be able to like our winter states and you know municipalities going to allow you to actually gather more than 10 or 50 people in it or 500 people whatever it's going to be in a single place um and then when are the leagues actually going to feel comfortable doing that and, and taking that risk and you know not having a situation where there's an outbreak because a bunch of people went to you know a king's magic game on a tuesday night right like I can't imagine the NBA wants to touch that potential issue with a 10 foot pole. So anyway, my, my, I don't think, I don't know if it's very controversial, but I don't know, to me, maybe, maybe this is, um, maybe I'm, I'm naive or something, but I just feel like the value of saving the season. And again, I'm a Bucks fan. So of course I want to save some version of the season, but um, I think actually the idea of saving this season and making the most of next season financially are actually not um, like sort of contradictory goals. I think there's been that general perception of, well, whatever you try to do this year, if you try to extend the season, do, 
do different things, go later this year, um, it is going to hurt you next year. And I think we kind of need to realize like next year is actually looking like there's not going to be some immediate back to normalcy next year, even if you can get over those humps public health wise to allow people to, to get come into the same place. What are they going to, how many people are going to be willing to do that? What, how much money are they going to be willing to pay to have season tickets or to go to random games? Um, I would have to think attendance is going to be way down until we have a vaccine. And again, that, you know, typically people talk about that would be, you know, a year away from, from happening, you know, from when all this started. So um, anyway, that's just something that's on kind of my mind. And, and again, maybe I'm just sort of fueling my own wishful thinking because I want to have some version of this season play out. And I also like the idea of sort of changing the calendar permanently. So it starts later uh, and ends later. Um, but I, I think to be honest, like just given the way this is all shaping up, I think that might be also just financially the best option both for this year and next year. I don't know where, what am I missing, Kane? Have I missed an obvious, an obvious uh, flaw in this plan? Obviously there's, there's trade-offs, but I don't know. I feel like that's the direction we're heading. So I want to remind you guys about our friends at D1 Milwaukee, our very first local sponsor for Lockdown Bucks. D1 is the place for the athlete. You set the goal. We help you get there. All coaches are former D1 collegiate strength and conditioning coaches and athletes. They build science-based programs created specifically to improve athletic performance in a state-of-the-art facility. But given that times are a little bit uncertain right now, we want to move on to their summer camps that they have coming up for your kids. For 7 to 11-year-olds, they will focus on the fundamentals of athleticism. They will spend time each day developing running mechanics, working on balance and coordination, utilizing the fundamentals of movements. The coaches will create a fun, active environment for your young athlete to train in. And for 12 to 14-year-olds, they're going to give your athlete a competitive edge on their peers, focusing on linear speed and change of direction. Along with progressions in strength training, your athlete will develop extremely quickly with our coaches' expert instruction. In order to play with the best, you need to train with the best. A reminder that D1 is located in the Mech 1 Pavilions right off I-43. If you want to get more information, you can hit them up at d1training.com. Keep those summer camps in mind. D1 is the place for the athlete. You set the goal. We help you get there. Well, I, I don't think you've really missed anything. I mean, certainly for me, I, I agree. I was having this conversation with someone yesterday that I don't see any, any way that there's any type of concert, uh, major sporting events, a huge festival or anything like that in the U.S. anytime before 2021. I think that the the big thing is that, and this is more what I'm realizing as this goes on, that we've said before, this is going to be out of, uh, in many respects, going to be out of the the Bucks hands or the NBA's hands. I think what's going to happen is at some point, you're going to see that the US is going to try and open up some things and see what happens. And you're very quickly going to realize in two or three weeks whether this is something that's going to be sustainable. Then the, the basketball will be able to look at, as we've said, going to a different area, going to a different location, having uh, some sort of season, whatever that may be there. Um, I, I, again, I still just don't think there's any rush. I mean, we, we took, there's been so much talk about this over the last month. It's been one month and it's the middle of April. You know, like it, it's still so early in the piece in terms of if they're willing to play right through. Uh, till near the end of the year. The other thing is they're going to have to look at other countries. And you mentioned Australia and Australia right now has been extremely uh, harsh with the things that they're doing over here. I mean, if I go outside in a group of three people, I can get fined $2,000. I mean, that's what they're doing. Like they're dishing out fines uh, for people being outside. 
um, if they're not going to get groceries or, or going for a run or something like that. And, and Australia right now has had less than 6,500 cases, 60 deaths total in the, in the entire country. So if this continues to move on um, for Australia, you might see sports come in here in July. And they're still only talking about July or August here, despite the fact that numbers have been really good. That's, that's the time frame they're talking. So when I look at that, I still just find it hard to believe that there's any way that the NBA season finishes before you know that October, November, December time frame that we spoke about. And then they are going to have to push things back. And I think you make a, a, an interesting point. I mean, I just don't think there's going to be crowds in the arenas before everyone is comfortable to do other things in crowds. And, and the sports will be keen to bring, uh, bring it back. And we know that the government will want sports back and start generating some revenue. But if you've got no fans, what does it matter? You'll get uh, people watching on TV, but that's about it. So I, I don't think that you're too far off the mark there. But there's a, there's a lot of other stuff that happens before uh, that becomes something that, that can realistically go ahead. Yeah, and maybe, you know, there's an advantage in kind of the NBA and these different, you know, like the summer sports, realizing that the idea of fans watching games is just, it's not happening for this quote-unquote season. Right? Like, yeah. we can we can dispatch with that, um, with that illusion that, that we're going to be able to do that or that it will be, you know, not too risky or, or even just the perception of it. Right. I mean, um, I, I just think again, could you hold one sporting event and getting, get away with it? I mean, maybe in July, maybe you could, right. Maybe, um, we'll be over this to the point that, that you could do that. Um, but again, we're just very far, very far away from that. And I think, as you said, I mean, the good news is, I mean, they don't have to make that decision right now. Um, I think the challenge for the NBA though is, um, you know, if, if you go down the road of like a, a tournament in one place uh, where, you know, everybody's getting tested every day, things like that, obviously a, you know, the testing regime, the testing capability uh, has to be there. Right. And I think the league is, is going to only do that when testing is widely available for everyone in society, because they got some flack, obviously when, you know, NBA players are getting tested and other people who, we're showing severe symptoms. We're not getting tested, right? Like just thinking about that Oklahoma city, Utah game um, where, you know, what was like 60 people, most of whom showed, you know, or pretty much all of whom showed basically no symptoms all got tested right away. Meanwhile, around the country, you know, people are sick in the hospital, like not even able to get, get tests and, and hear back whether they're uh, in danger. Um, obviously the league is not going to, I think, let themselves be put in that position. So, we're going to have to be in a different place sort of from a testing perspective where we probably need, you know, rapid testing, which I think there's some, certainly some promise around that, that, but obviously there's nothing kind of broadly available that, that you could say in the U S like, Oh yeah, just use that. And, you know, no big deal. So, um, so yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways, like, you know, maybe it's for the best that, um, that kind of the reality of, of where this is heading for the next, you know, call it six months, maybe rest of the year, whatever it is, um, that it's not going to involve fans and then really the big decision becomes like, okay, well, what is the, what is the best way to manage that? Um, if you do kind of get over that, because to me, that's sort of the first question is do you, do you decide, you know, there's, there is no way we're going to have fans at games this year. Cause if you say, yes, we're going to have fans then, or we might have fans, then you might say, okay, well, let's, let's play a playoff sort of like we normally do where people are traveling city to city. And then, if we have fans come at some point, then we just flip the switch and we open these buildings up. Um, but obviously again, as we're saying that, that just feels like a, a long way off. So um, 
yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the, the, you know, million dollar question or I don't know, $3 billion question uh, is what that would even look like for the NBA and, and when you decide it. And obviously the longer you have to wait, um, the, the more complicated and, and more compromised it becomes. Right. And I think that's obviously the, the most, you know, one of the, you know, strictly from a sports perspective is the most frustrating part. Obviously the public health, human life uh, aspect of this is the most important thing, but from just a pure sports perspective, you know, the, the fact that we, our, our, you know, whoever wins the championship this year, there's a very good chance it will always be considered sort of the weird, not entirely real championship because either it was shortened or it was in one place or it was without fans, you know, where it might be. And, and that sucks, right? Especially for Bucks fans where we've been watching this team just dominate all year. Um, you know, the idea that, that whoever wins will feel like it was kind of a, you know, a tainted championship to some extent that will obviously be disappointing. Um, and to be honest, you know, it's kind of wild. Like I was sort of thinking about this and maybe it's easy for me to say this because I'm, um, I don't live in Wisconsin and, you know, I'd have to really go out of my way to, to go see games anyway. Um, but kind of the part that almost makes it like the worst is like no championship parade. I don't know why that, that for some reason that just is like really sad to me. Right. The fact that uh, whoever wins the NBA championship this year, probably doesn't get a victory parade, right? Um, hopefully things change dramatically and maybe we could see that, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a sad thing, right? Because um, it just sort of underscores what we love about sports and kind of the, the you know, sociological aspect of, of so many people joining, banding together to cheer on a team for, you know, their city or state or whatever it might be. And, um, you know, the fact that we, we've lost sports entirely is crushing to so many of us. and um, even if we do get it back, the fact that that, you know, a big part of that element will, will be lost is, is obviously disappointing. But at this point, obviously beggars can't be choosers. We'll take, we'll take whatever we can get. And there is some precedent for that. I mean, I know, uh, right as this was taking hold of the world, really the coronavirus, uh, pandemic in, in Australia, they, they tried to finish the grand final series. And so they were playing, uh, you know, the equivalent of NBA finals series in, in the Australian league uh, with no fans. And you're right. I mean, I was watching this game. I was streaming this game once I got back to Australia and it was like, you were watching the preseason game and it's hard to, you, you can't really replicate that. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, if there's no fans in the building, uh, the players are fired up and the announcers can, can try and build it up as much as they possibly can, but with no atmosphere, no fans, it's just different. And that would be certainly a shame. I mean, I'm sure, most Bucks fans would still take it, but it would, it would be a shame. I mean, you want the Fireside Forum to be filled and the parade and all the celebrations as... Our favourite thing to do on this podcast is talk about Giannis, and we haven't really uh, had that many opportunities to do it over the last few weeks, but I want to bring something up with you because I was reading uh, Zach Lowe's piece the other day on the, the Luke Walton all-stars and uh, he always does this this piece each season and it's basically a bunch of guys that have had to grind throughout their NBA career and finally find their role or their spot within a franchise in the rotation and, and are able to to make a career for themselves and he put Christian Wood in there and obviously you know Christian Wood's a guy that we watched play last year and certainly had great success with the G League I know you Frank you you're the I don't know what you call yourself the leader of the Woodlands or I, I don't know what your your official title is but Lowe had Wood in there, and, and Christian Wood had some interesting 
uh, comments to say. The first thing he said is that he thought that at, at the time that he'd found a, a home in Milwaukee, he thought he was set there. He's averaging 29 and 14 uh, down with the herd. And, uh, and I, I saw him live a couple of times. I went to Oshkosh a couple of times. I saw him also play in Long Island uh, when the, the Bucks were out there for a trip to play the Knicks. So uh, he was just utterly dominant down there. And we saw him in Summer League as well. Too good for that level of competition, but he wasn't able to break into the Bucks rotation. They ended up uh, moving on from him. But the interesting, real, the really interesting thing about the comments for me was what he said about Giannis. And he spoke about his work ethic. We know that those two were, were guys that worked hard together. And he said, some guys aren't the way they are portrayed, but he is. He's in the gym every day, worried only about basketball and family. That rubbed off on me. And uh, he certainly credited Giannis for... Uh, not not all of his career turning around, but a big portion of that. And I, I just think it's so so unique to hear these types of comments from guys at, at that level on the roster. I mean, you're talking about the 14th, 15th man at the time and uh, just gaining so much from simply being in the same locker room as, as Giannis, who obviously was in an MVP campaign. Yeah, and I mean, and this isn't like a, I wouldn't say this isn't a coincidence that it'd be, it'd be Christian Wood sort of attributing um, you know, some of his development and growth being around Giannis, because I think as we've mentioned, um, he, he might be the first guy who was, you know, highlighting Giannis as a guy that he was patterning his game after coming into the draft. I think it was 2016, I want to say, that, that Wood came out. And, um, you know, think back to that time. I mean, Giannis was really like, that was basically, I think, his, uh, really his like breakout spring, right, was that at 15, 16, sort of second half of the season when, you know, balls in his hands and he was putting up triple doubles and, um, you know, he got a hundred million dollars that summer, but you know, he wasn't an all-star yet. Right. Like we were all expecting huge things of him, but um, you know, I, I, I can't say I expected even at that point, like this, right. <laughs> like you know, two time, you know, MVP, no brainer MVP. Um, so, so it's, it's interesting that that would at that point would already have pinpointed Giannis as a guy that he could kind of model his game after. And um, yeah. And I think, I, I think you watch him play the way he um, kind of attacks from a face up standpoint, the way he kind of Euro steps, um, the way he uh, slows himself down at times. Uh, obviously he's got athleticism and length and, you know, is just kind of a, a you know, it just has really good hands and coordination around the basket. Um, probably has more, he doesn't have Giannis's power. Um, so like a lot of the stuff that Giannis turns into layups, like Wood turns into kind of like, I don't want to say floaters, but they're just like a foot or two further out just because he's not Giannis and he can't do <laughs> obviously what Giannis can do. Um, but, uh, and he doesn't have Giannis's playmaking for sure. Right. I mean, it, again, th- there are very clear differences in, in, in the matters of degrees between these guys, but, um, but you can tell, yeah, I mean, he, he really did. Um, I think take a lot from, from Giannis's game and try to add it to his, and um, I'm hey, I wish Giannis could shoot threes the way Christian Wood can, right? Like he's up to 39% this year, um, and just generally, I think it's has really developed nicely. I mean, but that said, as much as I was a fan of of Woods when he was here, and I, you know, I was, I got excited seeing him in summer league that first summer, um, and then was you know really happy when um, they were able to bring him into camp, and you know, I had hoped that he would make the roster. wasn't sure if he would, then he does, um, and obviously, it would have been great to see him get minutes. You know, I think it's one of these stories that kind of works out for everyone. You know, I'm I'm glad as somebody who you know has sort of rooted for him from from a distance now. Um, you know, I'm happy he he found his way out of Milwaukee because, I mean, look, when you're backing up Giannis, you're just not gonna get, you're not gonna get much in the way of opportunities, right? And you know, he's obviously not a guy that you would say makes a ton of sense to to necessarily play with Giannis because 
you know, he's a guy who you know, kind of needs the ball and, and should have the ball to, to be effective. He's more of an offensive player than defensive player, obviously. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it worked out well for him. You know, obviously, do I think the Bucks were smart to have, you know, waived him to uh, sign Tim Frazier and then, you know, Pau Gasol gets picked up as well. Obviously, especially Pau Gasol, you would say, um, didn't really end up adding much last year uh, to that team. Obviously, I'll say the locker room presence of Powell, yes, would be more valuable than, than Christian would. But, um, you know, again, I, I think it's kind of worked its way out. Uh, you know, they basically brought back Bender, Dragon Bender, as sort of the, the you know, Christian Wood stand-in for this year. Uh, and kind of similar things happened, obviously. Um, so, I, you know, again, it, it's fine. You know, I think, again, he was never going to see a lot of minutes for the Bucks. He's not going to play over, you know, Brooke is there some world where he might've been an interesting backup, maybe playing some backup five? Yeah, sure. Right. I mean, of course the, there's that world. Um, but again, like, you know, is he the difference between the bucks winning a title and not winning a title? Eh, I'm not, not going to go that far. Uh, and I think it's, you know, great for him. It's been fun watching him get an opportunity in Detroit. And, um, you know, and the next question obviously is Kenny, can he do something on a team that, that actually is, you know, doing more than just trying to tread water, which obviously the Pistons have been, kind of a, a mess this season and they're in a weird transitional position and you know both him and Thon I think have benefited individually from having a lot of opportunities to play here especially after the Andre Drummond trade but um you know is that is that a um you know model for him being an impactful player when it matters obviously I would say probably not going to go that far so hey I'm going to keep rooting for him I hope he gets paid um there was that reference in that article that he uh, bought a Bentley when he didn't have <laughs> before he'd made much money because he and then he claimed that it was a good investment. Um, so, for Christian's sake and his financial planner's sake, I hope he gets makes a lot of money uh, whenever free agency comes. Um, but uh, for sure, he's he's a fun player to watch. I think he's been a fun fun guy to to um, see develop and kind of follow his journey. And you know, again, it's sort of a hopefully hopefully it continues right. I mean, these these guys as success stories I think are fun. You know, these talented guys who. Um, you know, go to the G League, have to really earn it, right? I mean, he's – it's funny that he thought he found a home in Milwaukee because, I mean, he wasn't playing here, right? Like, it didn't seem like there was any real path for him to, to get meaningful minutes necessarily. So, um, I'm sure for him, too, he probably feels like it ultimately was a good thing that, that he found a, a different home elsewhere. Yeah, and the other thing is I think that, you know, seeing this and then thinking back also to, to another relationship that, that Giannis had obviously with Thon Maker, I mean, I think it is, uh, you know, pretty clear – uh, the evolution of Giannis from, as you mentioned, the guy that Christian Wood looked up to as he was just sort of uh, making his moves to be one of the elite players in the league uh, to now being a guy that identifies young guys that, that maybe have had a struggle to get where they are or understands that they have a really high work rate. And those are certainly the guys that he appears to, uh, you know, attract himself to and want to really work uh, hard with them. I mean, he's become a genuine leader in this locker room and, and every guy that you speak to, says that, yeah, I mean, we see Giannis working and it inspires us to be better. And it's not in a way that I'm better than you and an arrogant uh, leader or an arrogant uh, player understanding that he is better than them. He knows he's the best player on the team, but he wants everyone else to get better. And it's not necessarily by him being a vocal leader and and dominating guys and, and verbally telling them to get to work. People see how he works. They follow him. And it rubs off on everyone, right from the guys like Chris Milton and Eric Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez, all these guys. But it's, it's the guys that are at the end of the roster and guys that aren't always playing. And Thon was certainly a guy that was out of the rotation for long stretches of his time in, 
uh, Milwaukee, but those two were known for going at each other in practice and going at each other in training camps and, and in the off season working out together. And I, I just think it's interesting when you get this inside. I mean, we always hear from the guys that are on the roster, but once people leave Milwaukee and the things they say about Giannis as a leader of a franchise, he just really now has become this guy that it's really, really difficult to see. And this might seem obvious because he's, he's arguably the best player in the world, but it's really difficult to see him while he's in his prime, while he's in this stretch ever being on a team that isn't a championship contender because he just makes everyone better, not only when they're on the floor, but in practice and away from the court. He's, he's become an incredible leader. It, it's just, I don't know, like it's just almost too good to be true. You know, you just look, look at what he brings as a player, as a person um, and, and this, and I think it's right. Like the, the relationship with Thon, the relationship with a guy like Wood, um, I think it does represent sort of that stepping that, that, that kind of graduation from being a very young guy. I mean, obviously he came in the league at 18, you know, just trying to find his way, uh, not just in the league, but also like in a new country, you know, without his parents in those first few months here um, to evolve into the superstar that he is. And in these last couple of years to be a guy that, you know, um, you know, is a great teammate for younger guys who obviously are looking up to him, who are trying to figure out, you know, not trying to necessarily be the next Giannis, but just guys that figure out roles in this league. Um, you know, Thon, uh, sorry, Kevin Garnett, Thon not quite living up to that MVP future <laughs> that, that Kevin Garnett predicted. But, um, but, you know, I think that that's important, right? That, that, yeah, he's a guy that um, his competitiveness, not just earns the respect of veterans and he's obviously still not an old guy, um, but on this team, obviously not tons of young guys on this team, but the fact that the young guys obviously, um, you know, watch what he does, how he carries himself, uh, the mood that he brings to the team. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that you've got a team that, you know, is super loose, you know, late back the Marvin Williams quotes, you know, <laughs> being surprised kind of at, at what the team is like. Um, you know, I think it, it, it does take root and take shape a lot in the way Giannis is right. Cause he's got that, that incredible combination of being like a guy that obviously is, is, is fun and has a you know kind of lighthearted side but you know between the lines he obviously just always brings it and again like you really can't ask for more from you know your superstar as far as uh that dimension of things right i mean of course yes we want to see him put them on his back in the in, in the finals and lead them to a championship and you know all that other stuff but um for a 25 year old guy uh to to be where he is uh, and to mean what he means to the franchise, the city, uh, and obviously the way he's, you know, gather the respect of his teammates um, and now, you know, become a mentor to some, right, to some of these young guys, that that's obviously something that not all guys know how to do, right? And, and that's true in any, in any profession, you know, some, some people are great individual performers and, you know, they get, they're very respected, but that doesn't mean that you can kind of have people look up to you in a way that they then model themselves after you and actually better themselves because of it right like some people have far too big of egos to, to be good as mentors and things like that so um again i don't think Giannis is necessarily like just a rah-rah guy or whatever but um and i think probably a lot of it's obviously they're kind of just setting a tone with the way he acts um and kind of what he does but clearly um it rubs off on people and um yeah i mean christian wood's a, a great example of it and Obviously, his success uh, will, I think, reflect well on Giannis. And again, I just think back to that uh, 
the video from, I guess it was all-star weekend, right. Where Giannis is walking around and sees the Pistons mascot and, you know, tells him to, to take care of his, uh, take care of his guys. Tony Snell is Thon and, uh, and Christian Wood, who he referred to as his son <laughs> and his brother, Liam. That was just a great, great, uh, improvisational, uh, moment from Giannis. So yes, man, I'm just feeling more and more, uh, wistful about wanting to see Giannis play basketball again, but, uh, alas for now, all we can do is sort of thread, uh, is sort of uh, you know reminisce about it and and think back to uh, uh, what what we saw not that long ago, only a month ago. It's only been a month since we saw Giannis play, but hopefully, uh, hopefully we will in in the not so distant future when it's all safe and and uh, uh, it's uh, it's appropriate for for basketball to resume. Yeah, fortunate I think is the is the the best word or lucky. I don't know whatever you want to say. I, I just was reading through that this morning and reading some of the comments, and that was the first thing I thought of. Just uh, you know, the transformation. I mean, Giannis has always been this fantastic person and his ability to just literally stay the same and become an even better leader through all this. It's extraordinary and it's rare and you, you just don't see it. And that's why he is this uh, generational talent, superstar talent in Milwaukee. Very fortunate that we've had the opportunity to watch him uh, on, a, on a daily basis, on a nightly basis. We can't wait until uh, that is, is the norm again. But I just couldn't go past that. We haven't spoken about Giannis for a while. I thought that was a good opportunity, but Frank... Uh, it's another one down. Uh, I, I keep on reminding people about the other podcasts, uh, Rejecting the Screen, Adam Stanko, and Noah Kozlov. Make sure you check that one out. Uh, Chad Ford's Big Board, you know we've been speaking about that one. Draft stuff is still starting to ramp up. So there's plenty of good stuff still getting around. And we'll cover the news as we do uh, as it comes through. But outside of that, we're going to continue to have some fun here. So Frank, appreciate you jumping on. Uh, for everyone else, I appreciate you listening. And we'll speak to you guys tomorrow.